it's not a standard development. It's more about actually creating something new. The main directions that we focus on are extended reality, human-computer interaction. Why do we need that at all? Welcome to People Tech and Other Weirdness, the not-so-serious soft-serve podcast. Here we collect stories from our people about their roles and rules, game-changing decisions, wins, walls, and falls. You'll hear about technologies from those who create them. Let's see who we have on today. All right. Hi, everyone. This is SoftServe with the podcast about technology, people, and innovation. I'm your host, Andrei Gorbenko, and I'm thrilled to have a very special session today talking about achievements in SoftServe research and development, state of human computer interaction, AR, VR technology advancements, and its applications in products and innovations. Today, we are talking with Mikola Maximenko, our D director at SoftServe. Hi, Mikola. Can you just share a couple of words about your current professional activity and your research background. Uh, hi, Andrei. Yep, I, I'm overseeing R&D team at SoftServe, and this team is focused mainly on the future tech. So we try to explore what will be the technologies that will change the landscape of our customers' applications in five to 10 years from now. But we also search for these interesting applications of these technologies already today. If our customers actually will start working on some applications right now, then in two years from now, they will have a huge competitive advantage on their markets. And our team actually consists of multiple directions. And these are, for example, AI applications in life science, like building new drugs with the help of AI, or machine perception and ambient intelligence, or hardware prototyping and sensing, and finally, we have a really great human-computer interaction team, which focuses on how we could actually interact with machines using novel interfaces. So in very naive and uh, very standard example that everyone knows, it's virtual reality and augmented reality. These are new technologies which are emerging right now, which will change the, uh, the way that how we interact with machines and computers and digital information. But there are other technologies like affective computing or uh, ambient sensing that will also very much impact uh, on, on how we interact with, for example, our cars. And in this space, we also focus very much on the AI applications because AI kind of powers all, all these technologies. And we need also to think how we embed this AI into, into novel uh, chips and edge devices. So, yeah, so we have quite diverse teams. So it's more than 40 people here with a number of people having actually PhDs in the particular domains. And yeah, we go actually all the way from writing research papers to building prototypes and to moving this uh, into patenting phases and then actually embedding this into our customer application. So this full full cycle of R&D development. And also we do R&D as a service for our customers. Awesome. Yeah. So building an R&D center is quite a non-trivial task overall. Um, and as you are the one who paves the way for novel technology and its applications, 
what lies in the core of R&D and how would you describe what actually SoftServe R&D looks like? Uh, that's a great question. So generally, R&D team in SoftServe is focused on advances in science and technology. So it's not a standard development. It's more about actually creating something new. We write technology papers, white papers, uh, scientific papers, and then try to transform this knowledge, these in-depth insights in some technologies into actual products or technologies for our customers. So in that way, we actually develop some internal products on which we build services within the company. And also we work as R&D as a service for our customers. When we actually serve as R&D team for large enterprises or smaller startups who cannot afford, for example, R&D team on their sites or lack some specific expertise in their locations. All right, but okay, so basically right now you're developing this, this new office in, in Poland, but um, what are like the core activities, what are the, the core projects that you're focusing uh, right there in Poland? Well, in Poland, we try to extend our existing team. So it's not, uh, it's not something entirely new, it's more extension to new markets where we have really good universities, really good scientific expertise, and we want to work more closely with these markets of talents. So in that way, we actually know that uh, Poland is really great actually in human-computer interaction, embedded computing, audio and digital signal processing. And these are directions where we actually try to collaborate with also with our R&D uh, and universities in Poland. So in that way, the main direction that we focus on are extended reality, human-computer interaction, and all the things which actually complement this. So this, this is also spatial audio development, some embedded prototyping and embedded computing, so such that we could actually build products on top of these technologies, and so on and so forth. So just to give you a few examples, so the general idea to extend our team in Poland uh, came uh, with recent funding of uh, one of our Horizon 2020 projects, where we will work on developing a effective computing technology for mid-air touch, such that person could actually, for example, have a virtual kiss or a virtual hug on a distance with someone on the other locations on the planet. Mm -hmm. And in this way, we generally started to think about extended reality. And right now, we also have a number of uh, customers in extended reality space for whom we built uh, R&D as a service teams with, within the Poland. And another interesting direction is actually technology commercialization. This is, uh, this is something that we actively do for all of our researchers and for all of the activities with the customers. So we try to go slightly beyond the engineering part. And here, uh, here we also have, we try to establish the team in Poland. So right now we have a Horizon 2020 project on commercializing the mid-air textures technology. And mm -hmm. this, this will again be a team in Poland. How does it actually work? So when, you, when you're saying that we can sense some, something in, in the mid-air, so 
Is it some kind of specific technology that enables new ways of interacting with interfaces, things, th systems? And where do you see the potential of, of utilizing this technology? Right now we see the growth of uh, augmented reality and virtual reality spaces and markets. And all these uh, technologies will very much change the way that we interact with each other, that we interact with machines, we interact with digital information. And in this space, we need to go slightly beyond just the visual representation of the data or visual representation of our avatars. So, and there are a lot of companies and a lot of researchers who are thinking of what would be the additional modalities uh, of, that we can actually transfer on the distance. And there is a very, uh, th there is a very active actually field of research in haptics where we have, we, we actually have these technologies already right now, for example, in mobile phones where we have vibrotactile feedback. But imagine that you could have uh, tactile feedback in the mid-air, such that if you will have a hologram in your augmented or virtual reality, you could actually touch it. And such technologies already exist. And one of the pioneers and uh, the most uh, successful companies in, in this space is Ultraleap, who creates a mid-air mid tactile feedback device called Ultrahaptics. And we actually worked with this device on the very, very early stages. So, and we even have papers together with Ultraleap on the touchable holograms, which actually also transfer biofeedback, such that, for example, you can feel the heart rate of a person at a distance. So imagine that you are talking to someone on the other side of the planet, but you can feel the heartbeat of this person, you could feel the respiration rate of this person. So this could, in principle, add additional, very much intimate experience of conversation with such person. And if there's someone that you love, so that, that might actually give really interesting experience that you could transfer some emotions on the distance. So that's one aspect. And th this is one market, which is consumer electronics market. But there are a lot of other applications, for example, in automotive, where you need to focus on the road instead of looking on the flat screens. And flat screens actually are disaster for cars. And we see uh, a lot of adoptions of flat screens actually in the cars. So when, when we uh, want to interact with these flat screens, we usually lose our attention from the road. So it's very important to substitute the absence of this haptic feedback in terms of knobs and buttons into something different. So here, again, mid-air haptic feedback uh, plays a very important role, such that person could have a flat screen, but still have a feeling of touch when you, for example, try to adjust the volume uh, of, of the music in your car. Oh, this definitely sounds quite crazy to some extent, but for me, like, it's easy to understand how you can program some kind of systems or code or or interface or hardware but here we're talking like a totally different kind of modality or domain so basically you're talking about programming something that happens in the mid-air um, what would you say is like the core technology or what are like the skills that you need to have to start developing something like that generally the stack of technology that we use 
For haptic feedback applications, it's very much similar to what we use in virtual reality and augmented reality. So we still use Unity or Unreal Engine. Uh, and we have SDKs for, uh, for these technologies in Unity or Unreal. So uh, for, for developer, it's not much different because you kind of want to locate the feedback in the mid-air at a particular point in space, which you can then synchronize with your hologram, for example. And uh, so here I would say that the stack at the end is like, as I said, the technology stack is very similar, but at the same time, it's very important that person also understands some uh, 3D geometry and, for, for example, have some background in uh, 3D computer vision. We also quite, uh, quite much value when person has uh, understanding, for example, of dif different human computer interaction interfaces, uh, understand a little bit uh, biometrics or biosignals, because all of that is important for actual perception of, of this feedback. But on the other hand, if you if generally talk about human computer interaction field, so it's not only about augmented reality and virtual reality, it's, it's all about developing new technologies. <laughs> Uh, where you also need embedded development, you need uh, to develop sometimes absolutely new algorithms and optimize those algorithms for the specific hardware, uh, for power, speed, and memory consumption. And at the same time, we have even new direction for design. So if you're talking about experience design of such applications, so people need to think in slightly different frameworks uh, and methodologies for designing such applications. So it's, again, an interesting space for designers. All right. So basically, you have to have the whole bunch of team that are specializing in all different aspects of, of prototyping, UI, UX. And I also believe that you basically, if you're building the product from scratch or some kind of novel technology from scratch, you also have to establish the whole set of tools, like infrastructure, like internal tools that you are working with just to make sure that the project will be on the right track. Yes, that's exactly why we actually are growing the team locally in Poland, because it's, it's also okay for us to work remotely and our company is generally very efficient actually in working remotely. But when we, when we try to build R&D, it's very important that people actually can gather in one room after COVID time and talk to each other, maybe draw some stuff on the whiteboard. And these are very much interdisciplinary teams. So someone is uh, focused more on the hardware and digital signal processing. Uh, someone is focused more on the interaction part. Someone is focused more on computer vision part. And this, when these people actually talk to each other and generate new ideas, this is really great, great moment. And uh, is it like the whole R&D team is working right now remote, remotely or some of them are visiting office or some of them are like having mixed schedules, like balancing between the remote work and on-site work? Well, generally we have uh, some back-to-office plan at, in the company and part of, the, uh, part of our staff is already working from office. And in our team, it's not obligatory, but some people actually prefer to work from office because they have access to the hardware, they, uh, they, sometimes they need to have this access to the hardware. 
And also sometimes it's just more convenient to work in the very quiet and isolated environment. So right now offices are more or less act like libraries. All right. Uh, but basically, if if a person wants to have like some piece of hardware at home, can uh, she or he not like borrow, but take it uh, from the lab or like try to work for, work with this kind of equipment from home? Or is it like uh, we basically have to commit ourselves to come to the lab and work there? It, it very much depends on equipment. Uh, if if it's something uh, more generic, like some standard uh, VR headset or AR headset, so then or standard equipment for uh, for embedded prototyping, so people can actually we have policies that allow people to grab this equipment and work from home. There's no problem with that. But if it's some very new IP, so then there are strict rules actually that such works need to be done only in the office. If we like take a step back, so about the projects that you described previously, the uh, e-textures project and the one that that resembles the sensible hologram. Um, how was the how was the workflow on those pro- kind of projects? Were people working like from home or they were collaborating? Like how the big was the team the project? How long actually it lasted? And just just I'm so so curious about the details. How technically it's actually possible to build something like a sensible hologram? Well, uh, these projects actually were more a research science kind of the project because we we created a prototype, we wrote a research paper. And we also created some market, uh, marketable demos that we presented on some industry conferences. But the teams were not that large, and these were pre-COVID times, so it was a bit easier. Uh, right now, we also we're still working on some other projects which uh, use augmented reality and virtual reality. For example, we built a collaborative augmented reality uh, application called XR Molecular, which allows scientists different uh, places in, on the planet to, to collaboratively interact with a model of molecule which was generated with AI and then they can actually assess the properties, geometrical properties, change this molecule in real time and immediately recalculate some of the uh, uh, some of the property like important properties for drug discovery and so this this development was actually done already in the remote mode such that different people in this project there was still a small team like up to five people Uh, different people just had headsets on their sites and collaborated remotely headsets and other augmented reality uh, and virtual reality uh, hardware on the other hand uh, if we are talking about some customer or production projects which are scalable and we go to market with them so then the teams can grow and can grow really significantly because you need, as you said, that you need all the infrastructure in place for continuous development. You also need all the infrastructure uh, for, for the cloud, for AI models development, for computer vision algorithm development, for spatial audio development and all that. So such teams could grow up to several uh, dozens or hundreds of people. So that's quite typical. So with the sensible hologram project, is there any kind of uh, similar 
technology or project implementations that you've done so far? Is there any kind of um, already, I don't know, applications that are already available in the market? Or is it some kind of uh, one-of-a-kind uh, advancement that we've, that you, you've built with the R&D team? Uh, that's a good good point. So in principle, this is, this is a, more a research artifact. So mm-hmm. we have a really nice demo. We presented it on conferences and we had really good feedback from the market. For example, uh, American Cardiac Society uh, was really excited uh, of this application as being a good training tool for, uh, for surgeons, for example, that they can explore the hologram of the heart, but also a tactile feedback gives better learning and memory uh, effect such so the person who learns something from the visual representations but at the same time has some tactile feedback it's proved that the learning in such cases is much more efficient and we know that some of these applications are already considered by by hospitals in in the world to be uh, to be good for training so on our hand, we actually did not deliver anything uh, in this space, particularly as a customer project, but uh, there, there are a lot of discussions with customers in this. All right. Okay. Then, um, like, if we, are, if we do some kind of step back to the technology of virtual reality, augmented reality, and now we have this kind of concept of mixed or extended reality, how how did it come that we are not satisfied with just giving ourselves the whole virtual experience? Why do we need some kind of mixed experience and how it actually can help us uh, and our lives? Why, why, why do we need that at all? This is a great question because for many people, virtual and augmented reality, these are more or less the same kind of uh, technologies, but these are very different spaces. Uh, virtual reality actually allows you to fully immerse in the virtual space such that you get kind of isolated from the external world. So it's, it's very great actually if you want to play games or you want to actually consume some content where you really want to immerse fully into it. Or you, for example, want to train or have a virtual training experience where you also want to isolate yourself such that you have the best training actually without any disruption from the external world. But imagine that you actually live in the different paradigm. So right now we have, we always actually need to look on our phones a lot because we have a lot of information coming all the time to us. So imagine that this information can be overlaid as digital layer of, on top of our physical layer. So this is where actually mixed reality and augmented reality uh, are jumping in. So this will be a kind of merging of all this digital layer on top of the physical layer. And that would be allow the great, great interesting applications. We will get rid of flat screens. We will get rid of various... Uh, various signature and digital signage which we have in the streets. A lot of this information will actually go directly into your headsets or lenses or glasses. And this this is what actually drives this market and particularly in the enterprise space. So right now, uh, a lot of enterprises very much Uh, would benefit from training applications and remote assistance applications 
using augmented and mixed reality. So imagine a technician working on some remote location, but he lacks some skills in order to fix a tool or to fix a machine. So having a mixed reality headset, he could actually request support from his colleague on the other side of the planet who can literally see what he sees and guide him of what actually operations and what steps-by-steps instructions he needs to do. So that's, that's one of the kind of killer up in enterprise space. So right now there are a lot of requests for remote assistance applications. On the other hand, training is uh, another very important part. So you could have overlay uh, of information on top of many things uh, that, that you do and which could actually guide you, starting from playing the musical instruments, ending for the surgeon in the operation room. So this is, uh, again, very important. And here, as we already discussed in terms of uh, adding here a haptic component, so you could actually work with digital holograms embedded in your real space, have also a physical experience of touching these holograms. So this will change a lot of things. And on the other hand, we also will see a lot of consumer applications maybe coming in a few years from now, but uh, similar to virtual reality and gaming that we see uh, rising in virtual reality space, there will be a lot of really exciting and cool games and content that you could consume in augmented reality space, which will be very different from what we know as a digital content or movies uh, right now. What kind of equipment we actually will need to have this kind of experience? So previously, lots of companies tried to build um, some consumer, uh, consumer-focused consumer uh, equipment like uh, smart glasses or uh, some kind of headsets that help to to immerse into into the extended reality what would you see is like the trend for development this kind of application of equipment actually will this like still be the smart glasses that we will wear on the daily basis or these are like more uh let's say specific industry equipment that will be available mostly for enterprise Right now, we have already quite a lot of different hardware solutions for the enterprise applications. So we see HoloLens device, we see MagicLeap, we have Vuzix and Realware. And these devices already are capable to solve a lot of really interesting, actually, enterprise applications. So, for example, if you're talking about the remote assistance, this is more or less done. But... If we move to consumer electronic space, so this is this is a nearest future. So you can actually have really interesting consumer uh, consumer applications on these devices, uh, but they still need to get lighter. They still need to be a little bit more powerful, and they still need to have a little bit wider field of view. So this is what consumers actually expect from this technology. On the other hand, all of these uh, devices are a little bit too expensive, I would say, for mass consumer market. But everything gets actually cheaper and uh, technologies get better. So in a few years, there will be growing consumer electronics market in augmented reality space. And perhaps one of the important steps would be when the consumer electronics companies like Apple or Samsung will jump in augmented reality space such that we would get some lightweight glasses from these firms, 
which would allow, for example, basic checking of emails or substitute our phones. So then this will actually create, create this market and actually lead to mass adoptions of these uh, technologies. And in that case, this will uh, lead also to creation of various marketplaces for such applications. And that will be a really huge new computing platform that will, uh, that will grow in the very nearest future. So it's really exciting actually to work in this space right now because someone who works in this space right now could actually build uh, an expertise and understanding of these technologies such, such that they will have a huge competitive advantage in a few years from now. Like talking to enterprises and to businesses, how what, what is this some kind of sentiment and how they are perceiving this kind of technologies? So are, let's say, some manufacturing uh, businesses or um, healthcare, are they ready or are they acknowledged that they kind of need this uh, extended reality in their uh, current workflow? Are, are they ready to innovate in this kind of direction? And maybe what kind of challenges they, uh, they consider to solve and what might be stopping them? I've seen a really nice uh, conversation uh, yesterday of Peggy Johnson from uh, Magic Leap, the C new CEO of Magic Leap. So she, she had a conversation with Wired magazine. And she said really interesting points that few years back, like last year, for example, a lot of CEOs of enterprises were having augmented reality on their radar. So they knew that there is such technologies and they considered it as a possible direction to explore. Right now, already today, a lot of these companies, they are searching for partners in this space. They actually are searching for building applications in this space. And particularly COVID-19 very much accelerated this trend. Because right now, a lot of these companies, they actually work remotely. And some, some of the work cannot be actually transitions to remote space. And for them, it's very important to find a way how they can collocate people without actually violating the social distancing rules. So are they actually building the network of partners that are some kind of R&D centers or like products that solve those, uh, those problems? And like how big is the development potential for those kind of partners, like how to, to build those kind of technologies? There is a huge potential right now because there are not so many applications. If we, if we look for any of the enterprises, we, we need to consider the market, we need to consider their particular uh, use case, we need to consider their processes. And those applications which are already available, they, need, they still require a lot of customization. But still a lot of processes are not captured in, in this space. So one, one of the activities that right now is happening is transferring some of the applications which enterprises used on the mobile phones, on the tablets, into augmented reality glasses. So this is a very straightforward and ready-to-go way to adopt some of the applications. But in nearest futures, we will also discover new use cases. So, for example, in our R&D lab, 
what we do, we actually have a technology commercialization framework, which allows us first to brainstorm a number of use cases and markets where these use cases apply, and then validate which markets actually are the having the most potential where we could start developing these solutions and then actually grow them in the future. So right now, I would say the moment is such that we need actually to brainstorm and ideate as many use cases as possible, validate them. If they don't work, go to another use case. How many companies are actually building their own R&D departments to, uh, to start launching this kind of technologies? Or are they more prefer like external developers who, on the side who, who can actually have more expertise and implement that with the better time frame and uh, better resources? Uh, we, we probably need to separate here companies which actually develop the technology, companies which actually build their own augmented reality headsets from the companies which actually adopt these technologies for a particular use cases. And if you're talking about the enterprises, for them, it's not that much important to have their own internal R&D. They actually are consumers of this technology. They actually need ready-to-go solutions to start working immediately. So for them, it's very important to have maybe few people who are familiar with technology, who have some in-depth understanding of how it works and how it applies to their particular use case and for their particular market and business. While they often work with external contractors to actually build this, uh, this software solutions. So for example, there are, there is a number of firms, uh, who are like boutique studios, uh, developing mobile, virtual reality or augmented reality solutions. And uh, SoftSurf is one of such companies. So we actually provide the full cycle from generating the idea together with customer, then uh, going into the prototyping phase, validating his on the market, validating his within the enterprise. And then when we see the traction of this idea, we actually can go into developing the full solution and integrating it with internal processes. Imagine that I am some kind of junior developer who are super excited to 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 like join some kind of innovation and to also develop the new products and technologies. What would be the best advice from your side? Where should I start and what kind of technologies should I learn and what is the best way to actually come to the point where I, when I can work on these kind of technologies? This is a great question. Uh, this is a pain that we feel right now because there are not so many uh, talents on the market and we need to grow a lot of these people from scratch actually uh, in our lab. And on one hand, uh, there is a number of courses in virtual and augmented reality, particularly on Udacity. On the other hand, uh, there is a number of core skills which are required to advance here. And I would say that it's very important to go slightly beyond the actual frameworks like Unity or Unreal Engine. And it's important to explore a little bit of 3D graphics, a little bit of computer vision. So in our team, it's obligatory actually for everyone working in human-computer interaction space to understand well the computer vision. 
and go beyond classical computer vision all the way to deep learning. And at the same time, uh, our team actually explores very much 3D vision and 3D reconstruction, uh, point clouds, uh, all this space. So it's, again, very important for anyone working in this field because it's not just usage of existing frameworks. Sometimes there are no tools to actually build a particular uh, type of application. So one needs to be creative and understand well the limitations of these technologies. So I would, I would really suggest maybe starting from uh, courses available on online platforms, on virtual and augmented reality space, but at the same time, actually learn the theory, learn actually the theory of 3D graphics, of optics, of computer vision, and try to actually build a T-shaped kind of a person from yourself. Good. And if... If I'm coming from the research background, so I was mostly involved in some kind of research activities in uh, universities or research institutions, how easy it's actually to pick up and start uh, developing products in extended reality. So does this research background supports uh, working on building products or it's actually more like on theoretical side? So how, how, what is your perception like having research background in that? I would say that research is very important actually on the prototyping phase and actually finding the use case phase or working with some new use cases and new applications. So in that case, I really value actually working with people with research background because they can state a number of really interesting hypotheses and then find the methodological way to validate those hypotheses. Even if they lack some engineering skills or putting things together, that's not a problem for prototype because this is a quick and dirty thing which actually might be thrown away. So we validate hypotheses, we check, then valid validate it with user, we check if this application makes sense. If it makes sense, there's a number of people who are more mature in engineering who actually can help uh, building an actual product from this. On the other hand, uh, people from research background, they, with some time, they also need to pick up engineering skills and standard uh, software development and production development uh, mindset. So they understand well uh, continuous integration and continuous development life cycle. They generally understand software development life cycle and go beyond just ideating but actually delivering the solution and all the way to testing so as well also very important that all these technologies that we are currently building uh, they also require the very careful testing and right now we also have a team of uh, software engineers in tests who uh, are specialized for example in computer vision applications or unity and uh, unreal applications or uh, test engineers for graphics applications. So all these people actually have very much in-depth expertise in all these technologies like computer vision or Unity or graphics, but at the same time, they particularly focused on how to break things, how to find actually uh, flows in that software uh, and those applications. So this is very important, uh, very actually interesting field itself. Uh, all right. So do you have any kind of new opportunities right now happening in R&D? that are connected with extended reality products or services 
and what actually people can consider in your field like for to joining yeah we have actually a lot of opportunities and these are both our internal research projects and projects for our customers and i would say that we need not only like focus on augmented reality and virtual reality space but we can consider here also various projects that we are running in 3d reconstruction because these are all very connected 3d reconstructions computer vision and like 3d geometry so in that space we actually need people who are uh, very good in graphics or people who are good in augmented reality and virtual reality applications and know well unity uh, unreal and other frameworks but at the same time have some background in theoretical actually graphics and computer vision on the other hand it's very important that a lot of our engineers need to be very much skillful in c++ and uh, programming because these new applications they quite often require optimization of algorithms understanding of how we may uh, optimize them for memory and speed and in that case it's very important to actually do the homework in terms of uh, algorithms and data structures so also speaking about customer projects so usually they go much beyond the applications itself and working with frameworks so in that way we also talk about infrastructure we talk about testing so we search for good cloud engineers we search for good testers who actually want to work in this space and have some background in this space okay let me summarize this again so this is very much 3d vision computer vision uh, augmented with c++ and good engineering skills this is graphics and understanding of unreal engine uh, and blueprints vulkan and opengl and all that related to graphics these are frameworks for building applications like unity or uh, unreal engine but also it's important to understand not only the framework work itself but also understand how to extend these frameworks for example how to build new sdks for unity we also require people working with infrastructure for such projects and uh, in that space these are cloud engineers uh, who can actually develop this infrastructure and devops and finally as i noticed there is really need for testing uh, in this space so if you are uh, having good uh, knowledge of computer vision and graphics but at the same time you have some testing experience so we are very very searching for you so that's 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 something that we are looking for in the, on the market right now so com combination of testing and computer vision testing and unreal testing and graphics or testing and audio so that's that's something very very much important finally i would say that we uh, we need a lot of embedded uh, uh, embedded programmers and digital signal processing programmers because if you're talking about computer vision or we're talking about uh, biometric sensors which are usually embedded in this uh, in these headsets so this is for example accelerometer and gyroscope so this this requires actually uh, digital signal processing of such signals and optimizations of those processing pipelines. So in that space, we also searching for engineers there. 
And so basically, what's what's the best first step uh, to make to explore these new opportunities? Should I go like to the uh, jobs uh, category of the of, of soft serve website? How can I how can I explore those kind of yeah, uh, positions? Uh, absolutely. So uh, we we have a lot of open positions directly on our website. And most of them are actually there. Some of them are evergreen. So for example, some of the research positions that we have in R&D, we put them as evergreen. So we constantly search for really great people. So it's not that much for the project based, but if we see excellent person on the market, we try to actually approach them. Awesome. Yeah, I think I think it was quite, a, quite an excite, insightful uh, discussion today about the extended reality and the whole things that you're doing in Ukraine and in Poland. I think we can actually wrap up this session for now. I'm super excited that uh, you were capable to join me today with the session and uncover all the things that are happening in R&D and in extended reality. Uh, hope it was super helpful for our listeners. And thanks to our listeners for joining the podcast. I think we'll catch up with you the next time. Thank you, Mikola. Cool. Thank you, Andre. All right. Have a great day, everyone. See you the next time. Bye.